We're going to read in uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're just going to take time to read the whole chapter. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten, first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? I'm just going to try to look at uh, this whole chapter tonight and just specifically, specifically to look at uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe have a few thoughts that might touch your heart uh, and touch. Obviously, it has already touched God's heart. <clears throat> One of the amazing things about the books of the Bible, uh, take for example Esther, where you don't really see God mentioned at all. But if you go through uh, all of the books of the Bible, there is no book in the Bible that you will ever find God mentioned as the first word, except for here in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. It's quite an amazing thing, especially in the world in which we live today, who wants nothing to do with God, and our whole world and our whole spheres that we live in are pressing us away from God, don't want to hear anything else about God. Here is a writer who takes the time in the first word to these Hebrew Christians to say, God. God. Not man. 
not things in this world, God. Are you not thankful as a believer today that God came in and spoke to us? We see here uh, in verse, verse 1 that God in many different times and in many different ways throughout the history of the world, from Genesis all the way up to the birth of Christ, he spoke in many different ways. He spoke to children. He spoke to adults verbally. He showed signs and wonders in different ways. And throughout all of history, God was yelling out in pictures of his son. And that was really what we would have to call phase one or part one in God's movements. So from Genesis all the way up to the birth of Christ, God was speaking. He was speaking through what we read in this first verse. He was speaking to the fathers by the prophets. And so God had a message for each one of his people, the children of Israel. And he would give that message to the prophet and the prophet would go to the people and would tell them what they need to hear from God. The prophet would have to go and tell the people. But here in this last day, God has summed up all of history in this one reality that he has now spoken only in his son. There are no other words to come. There is no phase three. This is it. Jesus Christ, the God of glory, is God, God in heaven's last word to man. There won't be another one. And it's amazing when you look at some of these truths in, in Hebrews chapter 1. One of the, the, the amazing truths you see here is how God, uh, the writer here is showing how the, that even the Old Testament is inspired by God. It was God that was moving in these men's life, lives. It was God that was inspiring them. These men who were uh, moved by the Spirit of God, as First or Second Peter says, that they were moved by the Spirit of God to write these words. It was God moving in their lives. So we see even right at the beginning how this Hebrew, this writer to the Hebrews is saying. God's word is infallible. It is breathed out by God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What we see here is that there won't be another, another part to God speaking. Whatever message that God has for men, for you, for me, he has summed it up in the person of Christ. I want to just stop for a second and hope that this sinks in. God has no other message than what is summed up in his son, the Lord Jesus. And so as a Christian in this world, how much time am I, am I investing in getting to know and enjoy and spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ? It is God's, he is God's final word. The Holy Spirit will not bring in another part for us to, to find out 
something else from God. What he does is he applies Jesus Christ to our lives. And so I just want to quickly look at some truths about the Lord Jesus in this chapter that hopefully might warm your heart. We see here in verse number 2 and 3, we see a sevenfold beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing to see this. We see, first of all, that he is appointed heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. Why is it important for you as a Christian that the Lord Jesus is the heir of all things? Well, I would say this, that he has made us promises. And we better hope that he's able to come through on them. He's promised that he'll come back for us. He's promised that while we're on this earth, he will be with us. He's promised strength and power in Matthew chapter 28. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, preach the gospel, make disciples. He's made promises. And the only way that he can come through on those promises is if he is in this first part of Hebrews. If he is the heir of everything. Everything is in his hands. Nobody can tell him that he can't do anything. He's able to do everything that he wants to do. If he has promised you in the word of God a truth, he is able to come through because he is the appointed heir. Why do we look at him in this chapter as heir before he is the creator? We read those words, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, the creator God. Maybe one thing that I was thinking could be this, that the end of my story and your story of your life is more important than the beginning. I need to know that at the end of my life, there's one that's going to take me to be with him, that has control of everything. But it is interesting why there, there would be a reference to the Lord Jesus as creator here in verse number two. Because there could be somebody in the Jewish day there who still had, maybe they've been saved out of the Jewish religion and now they're getting persecuted because they're Christians and maybe they're trying to go back into Judaism a little bit. And they need to know that he's not just appointed heir, which means that he's not just made heir. God didn't just make him an heir. Because that's why they, the writer brings in, by whom also he made the worlds. So not, he's not heir because just because he was appointed, as if there was a choice of a million heirs that could have been picked and he was the, the one that was picked. No, the, the Hebrew writer says, by whom also he made the worlds, which means that there was no other choice. There was no other choice. In fact, this word appointed is actually the same word as laid in John chapter 19 when they laid the Lord Jesus in the grave or when they, they, they found a sepulcher in which never man was laid. So the weight of the heirship of this world had nowhere else to fall but on Jesus Christ. And so the heir 
is God. That's the amazing part about what the Hebrew writer is saying. He's saying that not only is he appointed heir and he come through on his promises, but he's appointed heir because he made the worlds. So he can come through on what he says. It stops any argument of anyone saying that Jesus is anything less than God. He is heir because he is God. I want to think uh, just for a few moments on verse number three. Verse number three only has one subject. That subject is the Lord Jesus. And the only, the only thing in this verse, the only verb, as far as I can tell, I'm not exactly a scholar on this, but uh, is sat down. He sat down. So if we could just for a few moments take a look at verse number three in the view of he sat down in, in the view of the rest of the things that are said about him, right? So the first thing that we come to is he being the brightness of the glory of God. He sat down. So when he went back to heaven after he had paid for our sins, he went back, not as someone that was defeated, but he went back as the brightness of the glory of God. Undiminished. As we see in the end of the chapter, he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thy years shall not change. He is the brightness of his glory sat down. You think about the sun and how it never exists without rays. And the, the brightness shining out. And that's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is God shining out towards us, towards men. He is the light of the world. He is the one that actually lets us see truth, to see beauty, to see even the natural things in this world. We see nothing except from the goodness and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is brought forth, but he is not made like a, as a ray. He is coming forth from God. He is God. It's a very essence of God. He is God shining forth. He is the glory of God. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that says this, But we all, with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are changed. So when we behold the brightness of his glory, we are changed. Just before I go too much further, I wanted to... I was reading a, a book by uh, Sir Robert Anderson, Anderson, and he actually mentioned something about this chapter which I'd never thought of before. Yes, when the Lord Jesus purged our sins, th there was the view, obviously, of taking away our sins and our redemption. But he actually brings us back to Exodus chapter 24, not Exodus chapter 12. 
So the, the children of Israel had already had the lamb slain for them. And they'd already been rescued and redeemed out of Egypt. And here's, here is Moses and the people. And God says to them, you cannot come to this mount. No animal, no person, nobody can come to this mount and touch this mount lest they die. And so here is Moses in chapter 24 of Exodus. And he takes the blood and he sprinkles it upon the people. He sanctifies the people. And then what does it say after that? And then Moses went up to meet God in the mount. And the representations for the people actually went up with Moses at that moment, at least to a certain degree. And so here we see it's possible that what was spoken in that book is true. That, that when it says here in this whole section that when he had purged our sins, what, what the writer is saying here is that here's the Jewish people. They're, they've been saved out of Judaism and they, they need to get their eyes focused on Christ. And he's bringing them right to this mount and right to the place where Moses sprinkles the people and purges and sanctifies them and he goes up to meet with God and what happens after that then God gives him the instructions for the tabernacle and so the rest of the book of Hebrews is really showing how much better the Lord Jesus is than everything that was shown to Moses when he was up in that mount it's it's interesting it, it I think it might have some weight there. Anyways, back to being the brightness of his glory. We'll move on to he being the exact image of God. The express image of God. <clears throat> he's, not, he's not like a painting from a painter. So if, if God were to paint a picture of the Lord Jesus... That would not, that's not the same thing as an express image of what the Hebrew writer is saying here. That is, that's not even close. It's interesting today that my grandparents called me from Newfoundland and they wanted a picture of my mother to, to put on, I don't know what they're doing with it, but they're putting, they're either going to take it and they're going to somehow burn it into the headstone or, or either do that or, or put it in some sort of glass frame. or I don't know what they're doing. Anyways, the picture that they had when they blew it up was too grainy. And if they went too far out, then it'd be pointless. But needless to say, all of that, that picture is not my mother. There are things that the color could have been off. You know, things could have been different than that. That's not what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He's not saying that the Lord Jesus is just a picture of God. He's saying that here is God representing God. God is coming forth representing himself. So not only is he the brightness of God's glory, he is, when you want to look at God, this is what he's saying, maybe in simple terms for my own brain. Not only is he the shining forth of the glory of God, which if it's like the sun, I can't even look at. But if he's the express image, the exact image of God, 
if I ever want to see God, I don't have to look any further than to look to Jesus. I don't. He is the exact image. He is God. One of the other words here that is used for the Lord Jesus, he while upholding all things by the word of his power. This here is an, it's an interesting phrase here as well. So we had here being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. You could see how there is a possibility, even how we have to maybe some, somehow explain that the image might be thought of as something else other than God or the glory being just what he sends the Lord Jesus out as. But just like at the beginning where we, we saw the air is backed up by him being making the worlds, being God. We see here the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. The Hebrew writer here has no time at all to let anybody have any wiggle room, you or I or anyone in this world, for even a second to think that the one that came out from God was anything less than God. It's amazing how he is writing this, how the Spirit of God is leading him. It's amazing how the Lord Jesus, it says here he's upholding all things by the word of his power. All things. So not only is he upholding the universes or the galaxies, which, as far as I can tell, that we don't even have a telescope or anything to even search out into the very depths and the end of it. And he's upholding every single piece of that by his word. But when we come down to the very minute parts of our life, he upholds every movement we make, every breath we take. He upholds it. There's a quote there in, uh, I think it's in the Psalms, where God talks about, um, I'm jumping way too far ahead here, but Leviathan and how he created him and how he put him in the ocean to play. That's what he says. And one one of the phrases that he uses there is, there's Leviathan and he needs food. And he says, and I open my hand and I feed him. And he says, and if I close my hand, he's troubled. And he says, if I take his breath away, he dies. Such is the power of the Lord Jesus with your life and with mine. How we should fear and how we should honor that power. Think about him upholding Calvary. I mean, try to get your mind around that tonight. The one that is able, if he closes his fists, to shut everything down. So think about this. While he is being nailed to a cross, he's upholding those men who are nailing him. Not just letting them do it. Giving them the power to. It it gives a, a, a deeper and a more 
enjoyable understanding of what happened at Calvary, when he could stop it at any moment, not only stop it, but wipe it out. Just think about this. If you had the power to stop your hurt at any moment, he didn't do it. He, he kept going, and he kept giving them the power to do it. the second last is he after by himself purged our sins sat down purging our sins again there was a thought there from Exodus chapter 24 um, how this really fits with what happened with Moses after that but I mean it does not take away from the fact of what this verse is saying with who this person is, the beauties and the glories of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. How great he is and how he upholds everything. And when he had by himself purged our sins. When he had by himself purged our sins. It's telling us tonight that, or tonight that it's, The gospel is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it's about sinners. Yes, it's about you and I. But primarily, it's about a God who has been offended in his beauty coming down and by himself purging our sins. He didn't just shed his blood for the time before I was saved. But he shed his blood and made purification and made purging and taking away of my sins for the last sin before I take my last breath they're gone as far as the east is from the west the length the breadth the depth the height of my sin are gone because he had not that he's still doing it he had by himself Purged our sins. I know you might hear, be here saying tonight, this isn't a gospel meeting. But from, take it from somebody who has lived in the guilt of sin for way too long. He had purged our sins. So if you, Christian, tonight are living in the guilt of a past sin that has been done, you've already repented of it. Just remember, he has made satisfaction for that sin. It's over. You can move on. That's what the Hebrew writer is telling these Jews. You can move on from crucifying the Messiah. You can move forward in enjoyment of him without that guilt. He had purged. By himself, he had purged our sins. The once for all is amazing truth in the book of the Hebrews. Chapter 7, verse 26 and 27 says, with the, uh, it says these words, Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this the Lord Jesus did once. When he, the glorious Savior, of verse 3, offered up himself. 
Chapter 9, verse 12 says, Not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Famous words in chapter 9, verse 24 through 28. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, as it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin until salvation once it will never be repeated think about the power of Christ think about how much power and strength and glory would have to be in a person to be able to do that once Think of the thousands and the millions. And the, I don't know how many were sacrificed in the Old Testament that were just pictures of the Lord Jesus. And here's one who steps up to the cross and in six hours, he finishes it. It's over and we're free. It's amazing truth uh, about him purging our sins. And then the rest, I mean, the, the last point is that he sat down. And this is where the Hebrew writer is really getting to. Because he's going to go through the rest of this chapter. Verse 4 says, he has sat, or verse 3 says, he has sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he is by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than, the, than they. So he, spent, he spends the first part of the chapter pointing out who the Lord Jesus is. God, glorious, bright, awesome, powerful. What he has done, purging our sins. And now he takes the rest of the chapter to show, show how much greater and better he is than angels. In fact, the rest of the Hebrew book is just going to tell us how much better the Lord Jesus is than everything. But what's so great about this chapter is that when you look at the rest of the times where it says he's better than, I, I'm pretty sure about this, he's better, he's just better than. I mean, if I were to, to look at the covenant or the priests or things like that, I would say, yeah, he's so much more better than they. But he goes to the highest level in chapter 1. And he says, so much better than the angels. So the angels are down here. And Christ is up here. And the, the vast span between the two keeps growing and growing and growing the more this writer talks. 
And so he starts off by saying that there's really two reasons why he's better than angels. I mean, that we could go, I mean, God, we're, we're going to spend eternity realizing how great he is, and God's going to unfold to us how great he is. And the angels will tell us how great he is. And they will say, we wish these words didn't have to be written about us as angels, because we know he's greater. We bow our faces towards him constantly. And we cover ourselves in his presence. We know he's greater. But he wants just the Jewish people and us tonight to know that he's, Jesus Christ is so much more greater than all of the angels. He is greater because in verse number four, he, is a, he has a name that is more excellent than theirs. His name is so much more better. He is heir of all things. He has the name son. This is argued from Psalm chapter 2. He is the son at God's side. I will bring forth my king. And at the end of Psalm chapter 2, we read those words, kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. He has brought forth his son into this world. It's argued also from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, in the coronation of Solomon, and, and God's given the promise to David, and he says these words to him, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The name, son of God, he's such a more excellent name than the angels. It's argued also from Psalm 104, their title, so we read these words, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. These are titles given to these angels, and had God not given these titles to them, they would never have it. They have no power in themselves to create those names, to be those things. He's making the argument that without God, Without specifically, without God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the angels would have nothing. They have their names, their beings from him. We also see he's so much more better than the angels in his position. He is, in verse 6, let all the angels of God worship him. He is worshipped by angels. He is seated on a throne in his position. We see that one of the greatest mysteries in the word of God is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is, a, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Therefore, God, even thy God. It's a mystery. It's almost like when the Lord Jesus, not almost like, it's when the Lord Jesus was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he, he, said, he asked them that question. David said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies my footstool. He said, Which one is Lord? Who's the Lord here? How can the Lord say to my Lord? We have the exact same thing happening here. It's a mystery. Here's the mystery that God says to his son, thy throne, God says to his son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
What an amazing mystery. He is, has the position, based on his position, as creator. So we see the rest, a lot of the rest of this chapter, we see that he has created the heavens and the earth. He has laid the foundations. He has created the heavens, the domain of the angels. How can he not be greater than the angels? He has made where they dwell. He has, in creation, he's greater. We even see that where it says here uh, in verse number 11. So we have creation shall perish. But what's it say about Christ? Shall remain. It says here in creation, it shall get old like a piece of clothing and will get taken up and changed. We know that's going to happen. God's going to create new heavens and new earth. He said that. He's going to change it. But then what's it say of Christ? Shall always be the same. Always be the same. And his years shall not fail. No change. Angels are in the grip of the Lord. And again, I refer that to Psalm 104 with the Leviathan. So the angels, their position under the creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, are dependent upon him keeping his hand open in mercy and in grace, or not grace, but in, in love to them. He keeps his hand open so that they can serve him. And finally, we see here at the end of the chapter, he's greater than angels because it says, to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So as his position as Lord... He's sitting on the right hand of his father and he's telling angels where to go. He is so much more greater than angels. The greatest being, if they were to unveil themselves, think about the Old Testament and how one angel could wipe out nations and one angel could make you know, many people fall to the ground and wonder, And he just tells them, go forth. He has a greater name than that. He's more excellent because he's their Lord. And so tonight I just, I wanted to set forth the Lord Jesus Christ. As is set out here, this Hebrew writer is trying to tell these these Jewish people, and he's trying to tell you and I tonight, God has spoken to us in his son. Have I, have you? so exhausted the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of the glories and the beauties and the treasure of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that I need to cry out to God, what's next? There is no next. There is only Christ. And when God says he's summed up all things in his son, and when he's made him heir, and when he's called him king, And when he says he's my son, and when he's wrapped up all things in the Lord Jesus, there is nowhere else for us Christians, nowhere else for us to turn, nowhere else we'd want to turn, but to the one who has created all things. 
Let us finish then with just those words. Being made so much better. It's a point about from the Hebrew writer's point of view. He's structured top to bottom. They're all cascading all the way to the point, right to the middle of this chapter. And he says these words. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much more better than the angels because he has a name. He has a position and not a person in this universe will ever take it away from him. Now, take this chapter and go through the rest of the Hebrew book here. And then when you go out and you listen to what people say in this world, friends, workmates, family that's not saved, keep this in mind. Anything they say cannot change the truth that's found in Hebrews chapter 1. He is heir, he's God, he's king, and he's ours. And we worship like the angels. We bow in worship to our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we just feel so small when we think about the Lord Jesus. And yet, throughout this book, it's amazing how he's, it says of him that he's willing to call us his people, call us his brethren. We are at awe at the grace that you've shown. That we could ever as a people, Lord, know this salvation. We think of the words in the next chapter and how stirring they should be to our hearts. Therefore, considering the things that we have heard, let us take heed lest at any time we should let them slip. Lord, we pray for the preservation of this assembly. We pray for a focus solely on the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that the relationships that are the fellowship that we have with you would trickle over to relationships that we have with one another. Lord, we pray that you would guide and you would bless for the honor of your heir, the honor of your king, for the honor of your son. Lord, we need you to step in. We need you to set Christ on high in our lives. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon each one. Pray your blessing upon the word of God that has been read. May it have the joy in the hearts of those of us that hear it and that can obey it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.